0: Hey, how you doing? I'm Steve Folland. Welcome to another one. Thanks for listening. This episode of Being Freelance is supported by FreeAgent, the award-winning cloud accounting software loved and trusted by over 60,000 freelancers and small businesses, myself included. To find out more and to claim your one-month free trial, visit freeagent.com slash beingfreelance. But right now, let's find out what it's like being freelance for podcast producer Steph Colburn.
1: I had a ton of imposter syndrome and, you know, I had been doing this for a year and I was very confident in my audio skills because I had more experience with that, but I, like, knew nothing about being freelance. How can I... Help people who have like been systemically like marginalized be able to afford the services that those who haven't are affording and like an easy way to do that is to be like this is my min and my max with the hope that eventually your like portfolio of clients ends up distributing somewhere around the middle I'm a workaholic a bit I think everyone who freelances is a bit of a workaholic just because you love your job most of the time right
0: Yes, so there is Steph from Montreal in Canada, this week's guest, who you can find out more about at beingfreelance.com. That is the place to go if you want to join the community of other like-minded freelancers. Come and join in the conversations that we have and the fun that we have. If you want to find loads of other episodes or check out the articles or the vlogs, it is all at beingfreelance.com. If you enjoyed this episode, please think about leaving a review or, hey, sharing it with someone, either online or in real life. That would be cool. As well, and this is like the main podcast that I've been doing for what over four years. But I have recently started another podcast which is aimed at freelancing parents, and it's a collaboration with Doing It for the Kids, Frankie over at the Doing It for the Kids community. She does amazing stuff. And her and I are doing more of like, it's like an agony aunt style format. So like 20 minutes answering questions from the community. So if you're a freelancing parent, although for that matter, I know there's quite a lot of people who aren't parents yet who are listening and enjoying it. Please come and give us a listen. So search for Doing It For The Kids wherever you get your podcasts or go to doingitforthekids.net. And yeah, let me know what you think of that one as well. I know two podcasts getting greedy. Right. Let's crack on. It seems apt to mention so many podcasts though because this week's guest is in love with podcasts and that is podcast producer Steph Colburn. Hey Steph! Hello! Thank you so much.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: So as ever how about we get started hearing how you got started being freelance?
1: Sure. So I actually went to school for arts. I went for audio art and I thought I would be an artist. And I did a double major in creative writing. So I wanted to be like a writer and an artist. Graduated, was making art, realized I need to make money. So I got a job at a marketing firm doing all of their audio and video production. And then I didn't really love my boss there. So I left and I just started you know, working on audio and video production for other clients. And it just sort of boomed into a podcasting business because podcasts blew up and I had like a a good writing and audio background and I really enjoyed the format and I had really lucky timing.
0: Okay. So how long were you at the company where you were doing video and audio? Only a year. But there's a, a lot that you could learn in that time.
1: I guess I learned the business side of it. Like I learned how to set up an RSS feed. I learned how to, you know, make a compelling story, add in like the music and, you know, the intro outro sort of thing. Well, you know, you have a podcast right now, (laughs) but I learned how to do that part. And then, yeah, I really loved podcasts. I wanted to make some more like storytelling series based shows. So I kind of started making some stuff on my own time and then clients ended up reaching out to me and yeah. I was lucky.
0: And just to put this in perspective, when did you leave that company? When did you go out on your own?
1: That was probably seven years ago now.
0: Yeah, so I guess that was just as podcasts. I mean, I know they've been around for a while, but just prior to them really kind of blowing up.
1: Yeah. And I think it's still like, from what I can see, it's still growing a lot. So I really lucked out because I had a bit of a portfolio and I was editing podcasts on the internet. And from what I knew, there was only two other people doing it at the time. So it was like a very niche (laughs) market to be in.
0: (laughs) How did those first clients find you?
1: I actually when I quit my job, I ended up freaking out and emailing (laughs) everyone that I knew online. So I just like went around the internet and tried to find other people that were working in audio production, either in radio freelance or in podcasting freelance. And I emailed a bunch of people just saying, like, hey, this is my portfolio. You know, if you, I would love to just, like, talk to you. And, like, I ended up meeting, like, a friend. Well, now we're friends. His name's Aaron Dowd. His handle's the podcast dude on Twitter. And he was the only other person that I found online that was doing this at the time that was in, like, the U.S. or Canada. So we ended up chatting a lot kind of like messaging each other a bunch. And he had some extra freelance work. So I worked with him for a bit. And then he ended up getting sort of going the opposite trajectory. He now works for Simplecast. So a bunch of his clients that reached out to him for work ended up coming to me because he was no longer taking on as many freelance clients.
0: But that came from the fact that you, you just sent basically cold... Emails or on Instagram or Twitter? Like, how did you reach out to people?
1: I just sent a cold email to his, like, website, which I think at the time was the podcast guy or podcast dude. And I said, like, hey, I'm, like, doing the same thing. Would love to chat. Like, we just talked. And it was just good timing, honestly. And then most of my other clients that I got around that time were just, I would, like, go on internet forums, like, on Reddit. I'd go on marketing blogs and just, like, answer people's questions about podcasting. So like a lot of people would be like, you know, how do I set up an RSS feed? You know, what is podcast hosting? And I would just like give free advice basically in the comment section of forums and give my email and some people emailed me and I ended up producing their show for them.
0: That's so cool. And when you when you emailed the podcast dude and others, how are you feeling?
1: I was super scared and super nervous and I had a ton of imposter syndrome and, you know, I had been doing this for a year and I was very confident in my audio skills because I had more experience with that, but I like knew nothing about being freelance. So I was really nervous to go out on my own and I was really nervous to email other people and sort of like pretend like I was confident (laughs) about, you know, starting my own thing.
0: You trade now, I know, as Edit Audio. Mm -hmm. Was that what you were doing then, seven years ago, or were you just Steph?
1: No, I always, I don't know why I made that decision, to be honest, but I always started with the company name. So I originally chose Edit Audio as the name because I wanted podcasting to be my main focus, but I didn't think that there would be enough work to sustain myself just in the podcast market because at the time there wasn't that many people doing podcasts, So I made edit audio as a way to do like, okay, I can do like audio for video, I can do podcasts, I can do radio, I can do, you know, cleanup of stuff if people have like a meeting that they need cleaned up. So it was sort of an all encompassing name. And then basically a year later after I started freelancing, podcasting got more and more popular and I ended up only doing podcasts
0: how did you portray yourself so you had a company name but on your website would you still say it's me or you know I'm Steph and like how how did you come across in that way
1: I put my own like face on the company website and yeah it was I think at the beginning for maybe a year it was an I thing like it was just me and then after a year it became we I mean with podcasting there's always writing and transcription and stuff that goes along with it. So I did try from the very beginning to get other people work through it. So I hired a few like contractors that I knew that were doing writing or doing transcription, and they sort of worked under the umbrella of the company.
0: How did you find managing other people and having to deal with paying them or, you know, project managing things? Like How was that for you?
1: This is going to sound weird and I think it's maybe from like going to art school, but at the time I didn't see it as like me giving a job to someone or me like sort of like managing other people. I just saw it as like, okay, like transcribing is not my expertise. So if I could like give it to someone who like really loves transcribing or like is good at it, then I should do that. And similar with like, you know, writing, like I can write and I'm a good writer, but like if someone wants to be writing for their career, then they should be the ones that's that's doing that. So I didn't really see it as like me managing. I just saw it as this kind of like collaborating. And then eventually that became unsustainable because there was a lot more work and I had to like manage everyone's deadlines instead of my own. So then it became more of a shift to managing people.
0: So now are you still the only editor or do you have other editors as well?
1: No, now we have... A few producers and editors. And like I, I've hired up until this point everyone as a contract worker. But as of this month, I'll have two full time employees.
0: Wow. In what role?
1: Um, one audio producer and one sort of like business back end marketing social media person.
0: And how does that feel?
1: pretty cool. (laughs) It feels good. It feels exciting. It feels like nerve wracking, but I think it's good. I I feel like I've grown in like a pretty organic way. So this is like the next phase and I hope it goes well.
0: And are you working literally together or is it all remote?
1: So as of right now, everyone will be remote. I haven't hired the producer yet, so I'm not sure if they'll be remote or not, but everyone right now is remote.
0: And have you become so over here we have like a limited company I think it's called something different in Canada and the States and what have you you trade as a company now right
1: yeah yeah I mean I always had a business number but we just became incorporated which is I think the same as a limited company
0: how did you continue to market yourself so the first ones were by reaching out and by being helpful was was that just like the continued strategy
1: It's been a bit of both. Like to be completely honest, I have lucked out just with like having a portfolio and being in the industry at a good time. Like there is that. And then the other side of it is that like a lot of the networking I've done online has paid off. So like, Keeping in touch with people on Twitter, reaching out, getting like promotion that way, and then I do still do a fair bit of like free consulting. Like I'll just like hop on Twitter one day, or I'll go into like forums and I'll just answer people's questions. And I think I do it less now to get work, but I I think it helps like promote yourself as like a nice person that people can feel comfortable reaching out to. So I think that helps. And word of mouth, honestly, like clients give my number and name to other clients, so. I rely a lot on that.
0: How did you manage your own workload? Because I mean, I'm sitting here like knowing what it's like to produce podcasts and video and stuff like that. But I know that there's often a, um, you know, perhaps a weekly schedule, for example, you don't know when bits are coming in and you might have multiple projects on the go at some time. Everybody wants to publish on a certain day each week. And like there's actually quite a lot going on, potentially.
1: Yeah, it's a lot. I'd say like the biggest issue I have is that some podcasts publish weekly and other podcasts are like a project, right? So it's like a lot of editorial research, a lot of journalism that goes into it. And then you like record and produce and there's like 12 episodes. So there's like that series based podcast. And then there's like that weekly, you know, ongoing podcast. And those two different kinds of podcasts take very different skill sets and very different timelines. It's hard to manage both of those kinds of workloads, especially because, you know, having ongoing work is great. But then if you have like a project that's going to require an extra 30 hours a week, you have to be able to accommodate that at like any given time. So that's hard. How I deal with it? I don't know, I guess. I guess I'm re- I'm a workaholic a bit. I think everyone who freelances is a bit of a workaholic just because you love your job most of the time, right? Like I'm like pretty excited that I love my job and that I get to do what I get to do. So, I think I put a lot of time and effort into it, and it doesn't seem like terrible to be working on a Friday night. That being said, like I try not to do that all the time. And I think hiring people that I trust has like Helps me alleviate when there's too much on my plate so I can like hand stuff off all the time and give the work to other people and know that they'll do a really good job.
0: And have you created like any processes or tools that you use to stay on top of things?
1: Yeah. Do you know Airtable? Oh, yes. Yeah.
0: I've with it recently. Yeah. Yeah.
1: I love Airtable. So I use that as like a hybrid production schedule for all of the projects that I have. And then with each client, I have a production schedule. So like all of the moving bits, when they're going to come in, I give everyone who works on the project access to that. So let's say, you know, Kate is giving me the introduction file on Tuesday and then the interview file like next Thursday, and it has to go out in a week from then. Like Like there might be a writer that needs to get all those files. There might be a transcriber that needs to get all those files. There might be an editor that needs to get them all. So we all have access to the same like working spreadsheet. We all know when the like date is where the file is going to come to us and when we have to return it back. And we just fill it out as it goes. So there's sort of like two ongoing spreadsheets, one in Airtable for everything and one in just like Google Sheets that's like at the client level. And I'm obsessed with my calendar.
0: (laughs) But you can look at things in like a calendar view in Airtable as well, can't you? I think.
1: Yeah. Airtable's great. Everyone should use it.
0: <laughs> well, what I found from Airtable was it it certainly seemed great if like you are, you've got lots of different people working on potential things. There's a yeah. method to to assign things a bit like you can with a as well. Mm-hmm. To, so it's very clear who's responsible.
1: Yeah. And you can like yeah. tag things. So like... You know, for me, I'll put, like, a little tag next to, like, an episode if it's in, like, pre-production, if it's in recording, if it's, like, scheduled to be recorded, just so I know, like, where everything's at.
0: And how about the business side of things? How how have you managed that?
1: It's rough. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I mean, I think it's it's been good. I feel I've heard some horror stories of other people that have been in similar positions as me. Um, actually, Aaron, who I was talking about at the beginning of this episode, the podcast dude, we did a talk at the Podcast Movement Festival last year about like, basically how to become a freelance podcast editor. And Aaron had this horror story about like the second year that he was working as a freelance podcast editor that he like didn't know about taxes so he had like 20 grand of backlog taxes to pay so yeah like I've heard much worse stories I haven't had anything terrible like that happen to me thank god but um the business side is hard and also interesting like I feel like I'm learning a lot managing people is good I like managing people I'm hiring is hard
0: hiring is hard what's what's hard about hiring
1: I guess because as I've been hiring these last few weeks I've been really respecting the process of HR. I guess I, I don't have like any background in that and I have very little like work experience in an office. So it's I think it's hard for me to judge from an interview and like an application form if it's going to be a right fit in terms of like personality. I think you can judge someone's work pretty easily through that, but I think when you have a company and you're working with someone every day, you want to hire someone who you're going to like really get along with and like, you know, want mm. to hang out with every day and want to talk to you every day. And I think that's really like a hard and interesting thing to judge when you don't have that much time that you get to spend with someone.
0: Have you had any advice or support in that whole, you know, taking on an employee
1: yeah, I reached out to some people that I know and respect, actually some clients too, who have like businesses that are growing and ask them like, are there any questions that I should ask? And I got some really good, insightful questions. My favorite is if you could go back and give yourself advice three years ago, what would that advice be? And it's just like these questions that you normally probably wouldn't get in an interview that maybe reveal more about you know how you think about your life and yourself rather than how you think about your work and get your work done
0: how did you change the sort of work that you were getting or maybe haven't but you you know it sounds like as well as doing perhaps editing of a podcast a bit like this one for example where you got two, two people just chatting it's fairly low effort i guess in terms of editing whereas you could create something which is more like serial uh, mm-hmm. Or startup, you know, like this much more involved pieces that, that it sounds like you work on. How have you got into that kind of work and like work with a client and suggest that they do those kind of things?
1: I, it's usually not a suggestion. So I don't usually come into a project and suggest like this is the kind of thing that you should make. How it usually happens is that people have heard something like Serial and get excited about it and have a good idea and they come to me. How they come to me, actually speaking at conferences, going to networking events, those have been really, really beneficial for that like bigger, larger scale work. I think a lot of the like weekly podcasts and marketing podcasts, like stuff that is ongoing, those come just through like recommendations and like, you know, people searching like, I don't know, podcast editor, in <laughs> Google. But I think the bigger stuff comes from word of mouth and meeting people places in the real world.
0: So you mentioned conferences, uh, you mentioned Podcast Movement Festival, which is like a really big one, right? So when did you first start doing that? And was that something that came natural to you or?
1: No, (laughs) I went to my first conference last year, actually. So I went to Podcast Movement last year, and I was so nervous and so anxious. And I was speaking at the conference too so not only did i like i had never attended before but i also like had never spoke at a conference and it was crazy <laughs> it was so interesting like it was a really good experience for me and i'm happy i did it but at the time i thought i was going to die <laughs>
0: <laughs> how many people were there
1: at the conference like thousands
0: Really, it's one of those ones which I see on the internet, like the the big American type with the big screens and the big stage.
1: Yeah, I, I mean, our stage was smaller that we were speaking on, and they had sort of like these like breakout groups of different talks that you could go to. So it wasn't like I was speaking to like 40,000 people or something. but it was like just so overwhelming. I mean, I'm sure you have experiences like this when you work mostly alone and like at your computer all of your days and like all of your life and then you're suddenly like thrust into a situation where you're like in a room with another 4,000 people for four days straight it's like just such a shock to the system
0: (laughs) how did you get over that like even that going up and talking to people thing I find tricky it's you can bet or I personally can very easily just suddenly stand by the the biscuits at the side, the cookies at the side with a cup of tea and not talk to anyone.
1: Yeah, I was really nervous beforehand. And I just was kind to myself. I mean, I know that sounds silly, but I was really nervous beforehand. And I just told myself like every day, like, if you can't do it, then don't do it. You know, like it's, you're going to try your hardest every day to like talk to as many people as possible. But at the end of the day, like, if you need to go home and take a nap, you need to go home and take a nap. So a thing that I found really helpful was that I stayed off like campus I guess like the conference was in a hotel room in a hotel building so a lot of people were staying really close to the conference if not like within the same building and I got an Airbnb sort of like a 15-20 minute walk from where the conference was being held so every day I got that like 15-20 minute walk in outside I got like fresh air I could make my own food have my own like solace away from it which was really helpful and then yeah just like be kind to yourself You know, it's a shock to the system. You can't force yourself to have conversations if you don't want to have them.
0: That's nice advice. How did you then make the most of the experience? You know, there's so many people that you can meet. There's so many things that you could learn. How did you approach that? Like either during it, but also after it to to take stuff away?
1: Yeah, I actually, I got the program for the conference and I circled three things every day that I wanted to go to because I decided that three was a number I could go to. So there was like one in the morning or one or two in the morning and then one or two in the afternoon. And then every day I would like reassess, can I handle this today? And if I couldn't, I wouldn't go. And if I could, then I would go and I would go to the talks. I would Try to like stay for the conversations after because usually that's when like, you know, you get to like know other people that are also going to similar talks that you're interested in. And then I would walk around. I found like the networking times pretty hard to talk to people. So I would actually walk around when there was like in between conference talks, there'd be like booths and stuff set up where you could just talk to other companies that were there and there were other people walking around. So I was mostly talking to people then. Just because it felt like there was less of a precedent to like be forced to talk to each other. So I felt more comfortable at those times. And then I did go to one of the drinks. There was like an event every night where you could like drink with people. So I went to like drinks at a, I don't know, closing party type thing. Oh, and there was meetups. Like meetup, the website, people organize meetups around the conference as well. So I went to some that I was interested in. There was like a, you know, representation in podcasting meetup and there was like queer people and podcasting meetups. So I went to both of those and it was like, you know, a very small subsection of the conference. So I felt much more comfortable talking to people in that setting.
0: Absolute respect to you for also getting up then and doing a talk.
1: (laughs) Yeah, it was rough. I was so nervous. I can't explain how nervous I was because I was so nervous that I don't think I can like paint the picture of how ridiculous I felt but I was really like freaking out. I mean, I got through it. So if anyone is listening to this, who thinks that they will also be so nervous and can't do a conference talk, you can, and you'll be great. But yeah, I was really nervous. I prepared, like over-prepared probably, but it was great. And I don't think people can tell when you're nervous, which is something I have to constantly remind myself.
0: (laughs) And so that was your first experience. So have you been to other events since?
1: No, most of them happen in the summer. So that was last summer. Work It is coming up and I'm going to go to that. It's in LA this year. And then I'll go again to Podcast Movement.
0: Now, you mentioned being quite happily a workaholic earlier and, you know, trying not to work on a Friday night, but not caring if you do. Well, I was going to say, how is your work-life balance? But before I say that exactly, how is your week like? Like,
1: Like what does it look like?
0: Yeah, Do, do you work from home?
1: I have a studio in Montreal with like a little recording booth and a shared co-working desk space. It's probably a 20-minute walk from my house. And then I have a house that I work from as well. And I like being home and I like not being home. I really enjoy cooking and like, you know, exercising, going for walks, stuff like that. So I split my time between going to my studio and working from home. So I'll go to my studio three days a week. I'll work from home two days a week. Sometimes I work on the weekend. I'm pretty flexible. The other thing is this year, at least, I haven't been home very much. So I'm traveling a lot for work. And that really impacts when I come home. Like I haven't since November. I've been in Montreal for four weeks in the last like four and a half months. So it's kind of ridiculous. And it does impact like if I am home for a week, I'll spend the whole week working from my house because I haven't been in my home in so long. I haven't slept in my bed in so long. I haven't eaten like a salad that I made in so long. So I do like kind of, again, like just try to be like kind to myself and understand what I need to like do my best work and feel my best way. And I just do that every day. But like a typical work week, if I was at home, I would work every day. You're going to think I'm so wishy-washy, but like I don't actually put in times to work. Like I don't allot myself like a nine to five or something like that. You know, I plan meetings and recordings. I try not to do more than three of either a day because I find things that involve other people to be like a bit draining in my energy. So I'll book like three meetings a day or three recordings a day. And then the rest of my time, I just sort of allow myself to work when I feel like it and I know that doesn't sound like very like good advice but I think if you like enjoy your work and you like working it's actually like the best like sometimes I work at night but I'm not upset about it because I got to have the morning off and like you know maybe it was a really nice day that day and I got to like go for a walk in the park or like hang out with some friends.
0: I don't think that's bad advice at all, and <laughs> neither do I think it's wishy-washy. <laughs> it, it sounds like you. What it is is that you're attuned to when you best work and how you best work, and you appreciate the fact that yeah, I'm working in the evening, but that's okay because I sacked off this morning. Like, it's, yeah, it's it's when like you're working of an evening and you forget that you weren't working in the morning. I don't know. There's this almost like historical guilt that goes on people i think that i shouldn't be working this weekend i shouldn't be working in the evening but actually you forget that you you were making better use of your other time perhaps
1: yeah i agree and like you know sometimes i'll work from my studio for the day and i'll go out for a lunch and i'll have a really like nice like time with a friend at lunch and then i'll work until 9 p.m and i won't even realize it's 9 p.m Like, I'm just, like, really into this episode that I'm making or I'm, like, really excited about the thing that I'm doing. And I think that, yeah, there's a historical context there where, like, people have told us that, like, you know, 9 to 5 is the work week and the rest of the time is your time to do things. But I think that was, like, created – like, even the weekend was created as, like, a a pushback to get people to work and stuff, so – I don't think it's realistic to do that anymore. And I don't think we need to work nine to fives. And I don't think that like it's bad working in the evening or waking up at five and working then. What about when
0: you're traveling though? Like, so are you traveling and recording episodes or something, I eh?
1: Yeah. Like some of it will be for recording. So I'll have to go and like set up a little recording booth in an office or I'll have to go do like a remote recording for an interview. And then other stuff is just meetings. Like I like to check in on clients and let them know that I'm like a real person.
0: (laughs) How do you find all of that traveling?
1: I like it, I'm pretty, I feel excited about it. I mean, I like traveling, I like going to new cities. Most of my traveling goes to Toronto or New York and LA a bit, but my family lives in Toronto. So it's a great excuse if I'm working in the area, I can go see my family, see my mom, see my dad. And then New York, I mean, who doesn't wanna travel to New York?
0: Yeah, I would like to. I've never been. Is there a freelancing festival in New York that can pay me to go over and speak or something? I hope so. We have to
1: find out. Can I'm going to look one? it up. Yeah, let's start it. <laughs> we can make it.
0: <laughs> or, or or maybe I can go to some podcast festival. There's got to be yeah. an excuse, isn't there? So, I mean, we touched upon business side of things earlier, but like when it comes to billing... Are you somebody who will just invoice at the end of a project or, you know, because some of these are quite involved things. They're involving traveling. So are you taking a deposit up front or, or milestones? or Yeah. How have you figured out the best way to, to deal with that kind of thing?
1: So for weekly work, like the podcasts that are ongoing, I charge on a sliding scale. So we charge hourly on a sliding scale and it's like a pay what you can model. So I have like a minimum and a maximum hourly rate and I give it to the client and I say, what can you afford to pay me? We go by that and then it's hourly based on that and I invoice bi-weekly.
0: I'm sorry, when, <laughs> just, I don't normally interrupt, but It's the first time I've ever heard of pay what you can. So you give them a sliding scale, but does that mean then that you say, okay, if you're paying this much per hour, then I can only give you this, or are you just really nice? I can't quite. No. How how does that work? I
1: mean, I kind of got this from a concert. I went to a concert once, and when I went there to get into the concert, it was you know five to fifteen dollars. So you could pay five dollars, or if you had fifteen dollars, you could pay fifteen dollars. And the idea there was that like if everyone paid $5, the like band and the venue could like, you know, be fine, but if everyone paid $15, the band and the venue would make a profit. And it was like, okay, that's cool because then, you know, people that couldn't afford it were paying 5 and people that could afford it were paying 15 or somewhere in between. And I was like, wow, that's a great model because then you're not like, you know, you're not leaving out anyone who can't afford to be there. So I just did that with my work.
0: <laughs> wow.
1: How do people react
0: to that? And like, do do you find that a lot of people just go, go for the higher amount? It's an interesting thing. I've not come across it before.
1: People, every time I tell someone this, they are like, well, why? Especially like, you know, my dad is like a very typical business person. And he has always been like, you know, if you give people a deal, they're going to take it. If you give people an easy way out or a cut in cost, they're going to take it. And honestly, I haven't found that to be true. Like at all. I think people do look at it and they kind of like, sometimes people are confused and I have to explain it to them. And I just say that, like, you know, this is the least amount of money that I can make this project on. And this is the most amount of money that like I would charge to do this project and like whatever you can afford to pay me in between those two, please do. And people are like honest and nice and they do. And like, yeah, some people can't afford to pay me that much and some people can. And it's great.
0: That's really interesting. Good for you. And so going on that model, do they pay in advance of the episode being done? This was like a weekly thing, right?
1: Yeah, no, they don't. I invoice bi-weekly for whatever I've done in those two weeks. So if it's like a weekly episode and like, because some people have like, you know, writing or a blog post that goes along with their episodes. Some people have a transcript. Some people just have the editing. So depending on what work is being done in those two weeks, I invoice for that work.
0: And you invoice every two weeks? Yeah. So, and what was the other kind of pricing that you do then?
1: The other pricing, if it's like a series-based thing, it's harder to kind of explain because in a series-based podcast, there's like pre-production. There's usually two phases of pre-production. There's recording and then there's post-production. So all of that could happen in like a short amount of time or a long amount of time. But there's like, you know, all of these different layers. And some of them I'm more or less involved in. So usually I'll do a quote for the whole project, what that would look like. And then I get people to invoice me in thirds. So a third after the contract signed, a third midway through the project, and then a third at the end once it's all been completed.
0: Yeah, that's really good. And so that means that you, so you never start a project without some form of payment. So if you're traveling somewhere, then you're not waiting until, I don't know, three months later to get paid.
1: Yeah, it's. I would like to say that's true all of the time, but sometimes like with bigger companies, it takes a while to get the contract signed. So there have been times where I've been doing work for like a month or a month and a half, and I haven't had like any contract or any payment or even like any sort of security that the project is going to happen. So I try my best to get that upfront, but th- I'm, it would be a lie to tell you that that's always the case. <laughs>
0: that's interesting in itself. Though. So, but So with larger companies, sometimes you decide just to start work anyway, based on the fact that you, you feel your gut says it's going to happen.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: You've not come unstuck in either of these ways.
1: No, I don't think so. I think the pay what you can model is like a really cool, like my whole passion behind this company and like drive for it is that like podcasting is a new space and like media in general, but podcasting too is like not representative of the world we live in. So like how can I make it so that there's like more women and more like people of color and more queer people that are like making podcasts and also producing podcasts. And like one of the ways to do that is to like help people who have like been systemically like marginalized, be able to afford the services that those who haven't are affording. And like an easy way to do that is to be like, this is my min and my max with the hope that eventually your like portfolio of clients ends up like distributing somewhere around the middle.
0: That is so cool. Good for you. Do you have any side projects? Or is it all client work?
1: I make art still. (laughs) Oh, nice. (laughs) Yeah, but not for like money or anything, just for fun. Yeah, I make like some music and some like, you know, weird experimental sound art. And I write all the time. So I make like, conceptual poetry and like, yeah, that's my side project.
0: (laughs) Does that go out into the world or is that just for yourself?
1: Sometimes it goes into the world. I probably haven't had any. I had a um, some poems in a gallery besides some collage work maybe a year and a half ago. So very infrequently does it go out into the world. But sometimes it does. Sometimes it doesn't. I haven't applied to get it into the world in a very long time.
0: Now, I always do this thing where I ask for three facts about yourself to make two true, one a lie, and let me figure out the lie. What do you have for me, Steph?
1: Okay. My two truths and a lie. Number one, I once moved to rural northern Canada to live without electricity or water, and I had a standoff with a seven-foot-tall moose. (laughs) (laughs) Yep, next. Number two, I once got my black belt in Taekwondo, and then I was demoted because I came to class with a missing tooth that I had lost in a bar fight. (laughs) Fact three. Fact three, I once met Eugene Levy and then immediately after made Deborah Devine, his wife, cry on an airplane. <laughs> so two of those are true.
0: You'll have to forgive me. Who's Eugene Levy?
1: He was, well, he is like a comedian and actor. He's on a like famous, well, I don't know if it's famous Canadian or famous everywhere show right now called Schitt's Creek. He has bushy eyebrows. He was in. Um... Oh, is that like a rich family who suddenly find themselves living
0: in a poor motel? Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. So he's the dad in that. Um, he's in. Oh God, what is that terrible he was in American, Pie. American Pie? Thank you. I was like, what is that? He was that the movie? dad in American
0: Pie. Yes, I have. I have seen the first episode or two of Schitt's Creek, and I remember thinking that's the guy from American Pie. <laughs> okay, so you met the dad from American Pie, and then you made his wife cry.
1: How? I had a conversation with her about um, Schitt's Creek, and her son, so their child, both of them's child, (laughs) wrote, I think, most of the show, and he's in the show, and I was talking to her about, you know, like, queer representation, he's, like, queer in the show, but, like, doesn't really ever talk about it, and it's, like, never a problem for anyone in the town, and I was talking to her about, like, how cool that was, and how it's, like, such a good, like way for like a queer person to be represented in tv where it's like not a big thing there's no like coming out kind of thing and then we were just talking about like the struggles of being queer and she started crying (sighs)
0: so it was a nice cry yeah it's not like you punched her for some nuts (laughs) or something
1: yeah it was like those are my almonds (laughs)
0: okay um a seven foot moose standoff so you're living in a remote part of Canada Mm -hmm. and now you say now I can't decide are you throwing this in here because you think okay Canada what does the guy who lives in the UK think of Canada I know (laughs) I'll chuck in a moose story because last time I had somebody on from Canada I swear it involved a bear so what what happened with the
1: moose so the whole story is that I moved to the Yukon which is like a territory in Canada, like up by Alaska on the very, very Northwest. It was almost above the tree line. And I was working at a casino at the time. And to get home from the casino into my like little hut, basically, I was living in, I had to take a bike or drive home. And the person I was living with at the time was using the car. So I biked home. And on my bike home, there was a what is this called? Over a ravine, a bridge, a covered bridge, and in the middle of it was this huge moose.
0: And what did you, what did
1: you do? I literally just stood there and on my <laughs> bike and I waited. Yeah. And I sort of backed. Up. I mean, they tell you. I mean, this is a very Canadian moment because they tell you if you meet like a moose or something, you shouldn't like go the other way because it might charge you. Um, right. So I just stood there, like in dead like not moving at all and was waiting and I kind of was like what the hell do I do like there's nothing you can do I'm on a bicycle there's no like space around the moose it's like you know there's no one around and what felt like years later a like truck came by with like a man in it and he was like get in the back and I threw my bike in the back of his like pickup truck and he just like honked at the moose until it like slowly walked away (laughs) but it it took a very long time (laughs)
0: okay right and then you got a black belt in taekwondo Mm -hmm. but then got it taken away from you because you broke a tooth in a bar fight there's so many bits to this story that i don't believe
1: (laughs) it wasn't taken away it was demoted
0: because you used your superpowers of taekwondo in a bar fight yeah that is that why
1: yeah, because, like, one of the, like, mandates of Taekwondo is that, like, there's, like, all these principles that you stand by. And, like, one of the big ones is kind of that you don't, like, it's it's a method of self-defense. So you're not supposed to use it to, like, you know, get drunk in a bar. You
0: see, now <laughs> I'm, I'm sitting here. You seem so lovely. Would you have got in a bar fight and used your super ninja skills? Thank
1: you for saying I seem lovely.
0: <laughs> I can't imagine you getting in a bar fight. But, okay. I want the seven foot moose story to be true. <laughs> and yeah, I think that I, I don't know. I can't decide whether, it, like I said, I can't decide whether you're putting in the moose story because it's Canadian, or <laughs> it's true. I mean, this Basically, is a lot of Canadian
1: content because I have the moose and Eugene Levy, who is <sighs> technically a Canadian icon. So, I
0: don't, I I, st- I still don't think you got in a bath. I think, despite the fact that. The other two seem unlikely. I didn't, I really don't think you got in a bar fight and got demoted in, from the black belt. That's the lie.
1: You're right. That is the lie. Yes! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I did have a black belt and I have been in bar fights, but I never missed a tooth. <laughs> I've never lost a tooth in a bar fight.
0: Just for the record, I have been in a bar fight. I'm still shocked at that.
1: <laughs> yeah, well, I was a bit of a rowdy teenager. What can I say? <laughs> Man,
0: now I'm thinking you could, could have probably taken that moose.
1: <laughs> I don't think so. It's really tall. I'm very small. I'm like five feet tall. So <laughs> also moose. If you,
0: if you could tell your younger self one thing about being freelance, what would that be?
1: I would tell myself in general about not being, about being freelance and just general life advice that everything is going to be okay because I think I was so worried and I think we like put so much pressure on, you know, teenagers and kids to like, you have to take all these classes and then you have to go to this school or you have to like get this degree and then you have to do this job and you have to like do it at this timeline and none of that is true. (laughs) I mean, it is true to a certain extent that you have to like work hard and try your best. But I think if you do that, you'll be fine. And I wish someone told me that.
0: Steph, it's been so good to talk to you. Um, go to beingfreelance.com. There will be a link to everything that Steph is up to, be it edit audio's website or to find her on Twitter or wherever else she hangs out online. We will make sure that the links are there. So if you've enjoyed this, go say hi and check out some of the podcasts that she's been editing as well. Uh, I always like that on, on your Twitter. You always you always kind of share things, uh, other yeah. people's podcasts and stuff. So
1: They're not always ones I'm working on. I just like to support cool cool podcasts in the world. Like this one. (laughs) You see, you wouldn't have gotten a bath. I'm standing (laughs) by that. thank you so
0: go take a look at that of course while you're there also check out the vlog join the community there's a link through so you can come and hang out in the being freelance community lots going on there including live q and a's and the non-employee of the week awards but also loads of supportive conversations uh, and laughs going on as well loving that at the moment and you can also check out the live events that we're doing listed on the website and of course hit subscribe wherever you get your podcast so you don't miss future episodes too but for now Steph, thank you so much and all the best being freelance.
1: Thank you. All the best to you being freelance.